Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. Today we have done something a little different, which is that we are offering you a bonus episode because, you know, we talk a lot about attachment and co-regulation. And one of the most important things you can do for that is to practice mindfulness exercises. So we've included a 12-minute, really rich, incredible, specific, evidence-based, science-backed meditation for you. Our guest today, Kelly Enselman, led us through this meditation, and we really think you're going to love it. And if you haven't heard it yet, just back up one episode and you'll find that bonus section, which is the 12-minute meditation. Otherwise, if you don't have time for that or not able to do that right now, then let's get straight to the podcast, which is Dr. Ann Kelly. We'll be interviewing Kelly Enselman, who is a clinical social worker and yoga practitioner here in Austin, Texas. Today, they talk about movement and yoga and how that yoga and movement is a way of bringing the body into therapy and into your into your awareness and into your life. It's It goes right with our sort of breaking down the relational sciences and giving you something practical that you can do in your day-to-day life. So we hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. So today, we're going to talk about movement, mindfulness, and different types of meditation. Yes. And we just completed an amazing exercise and I feel so relaxed. So I'm really happy and think this episode is going to bring so much to different people. We've talked quite a bit in our podcast about mindfulness and about meditation and the wonderful impact it has on our brain and our mental health. But today we're here with Kelly Inselman, and she's going to talk about the use of this process in adding movement. Tell us about it, Kelly. Yes, thanks, Anne. I was having so much fun just sitting here in the recording studio and being able to start our conversation with a simple yoga practice and then some mindfulness awareness and then a mantra meditation that has uh, received a lot of research over the last few years and been shown to be very highly effective in many different ways that maybe we can talk about. And for the listeners that didn't join us, good news, we have all of that that will be available in our show notes in our website that you can go through the whole process that we just went through. And after this episode, you actually are going to probably be really dying to get there because you'll understand why it's so beneficial. Yes, good. I hope people do. What we ended up doing was the warm-up exercises that I teach quite a bit in my classes and my yoga and talk therapy groups and with individual clients, especially when people are really needing to feel grounded and they need some help coming into the present moment. What I've discovered in my own journey with mindfulness is that it's not always that easy to come into the present moment. That's so true. And a lot of times we need different tools and techniques to help us to do that. And so I look at the yoga practices and meditation as being tools for consciousness and tools for coming into the present moment and really learning to be with yourself and explore what's happening inside of you, in your body, in your heart, and in your mind. And so I love sharing these techniques. Well, 
I have grown in so much, so many ways, just in the process of talking with you and already doing some of the research around what it is like to add movement and yoga to meditation. I had no idea the amazing intensifying impact that movement has on the whole positive output of meditation. Yes. And in fact, I would say that one of the main reasons people invented yoga in the first place is to help people be able to sit in meditation because many of us have a lot of tension in our bodies and our minds are going a hundred miles a minute. The yogis say that our minds release a thousand thoughts with each blink of the eye. Wow. And that's a lot. And I think many of us, especially in our current culture where we're feeling so overstimulated by our what's on our phone and what's on the news and being able to hear other people's thoughts and feelings at a very loud and constant speed. We need to be able to have tools to help us really get grounded and be able to sit with our own thoughts and feelings and our own experiences. And so movement can be just an additional tool to be able to do that. The kind of yoga that I do is called Kundalini yoga, and it uses movement and rhythm and sound. And so we do simple movements, linking our breath with the movement and often adding either a mental mantra or sometimes we're saying a mantra out loud. And what that does is it gets both sides of the body moving, gets your circulation moving. And it also has the effect of creating balance between the hemispheres of the brain, which has a real soothing effect on your nervous system. And it has an integrating effect as well on whatever your life experiences have been. It helps you to integrate what you're experiencing now with your past. So you're integrating, what you're saying is you're integrating both your physical movement and meditation and breath and using sound in a way that helps to keep all of it in kind of in sync and in rhythm? Yes, yes, exactly that. You're creating through the use of rhythm and through the breath and the mental focus, oftentimes of a mantra, you're really creating, it really has an integrating effect on your nervous system, on your body, and it has a very stabilizing effect on your mind as well. Just in the process of doing that with you, and I don't mean to talk to listeners about something they haven't quite done yet, if you haven't stopped and and listened, but let me, when I think of yoga, when we first were going to start talking, I think of yoga. For me, I'm a runner, and I have been able to integrate, uh, not as much as I'd like, but meditation. So Mm -hmm. I think, ah, check the box. I will go for a run, and uh, maybe at another time, end up meditating, Mm -hmm. and feel like, you know, I'm doing the most that I can do based on all the research. And yet, after meeting with you and talking with you and really researching this, I really realized the benefit of putting those two together, actually integrating those two. And research has really actually shown that, that if individuals who actually meditate right before a run, that it is significantly improves the outcome of a run in terms Mm -hmm. of mood and the things that happen in in the body. And uh, having been talking with you about it, I completely understand that from a deeper level. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that. Why, if I meditate as well as move my body, 
tell me a little bit more and, and what I love about what you're saying is not everybody can run and the, the experience of the yoga is so rhythmic and I actually just, uh, I, I, it made me want to do it all the time. It's such mm-hmm. a meditative process while I'm moving. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about why that has such a deeper impact on me if we do the two together. Kundalini yoga that uses this bilateral stimulation where you're activating both sides of the body in a rhythm. Uh, What that does is it activates the hemispheres of the brain and it creates a soothing effect. You're also activating the frontal lobe. And just like in meditation, meditation, one of the effects that's very positive is that it soothes the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that is associated with the more primitive fight and flight reactions from our nervous system. And the amygdala is the part of the brain that's always scanning for whether there's danger in the environment. And doing the practices where you're activating both sides of the body in a rhythm helps to really soothe the amygdala as well. You know, Kelly, listening to you talk about the practice of integrating the effects of yoga and mindfulness and meditation into one practice, and as you've explained earlier, it involves singing and movement and voice, and it really has an amazing impact. And you mentioned before we got started that just 20 minutes a day of doing this can have a really significant impact. And being able to see it in action when we did it really made it a doable process. So tell us a little bit about how you integrated into your life and into your practice. Yes, I am somebody who really has to experience something to know its benefits. I can't Uh, listen to somebody tell me what to do. I really enjoy getting in there and experiencing it and deciding if it's for me or not. And when I came upon Kundalini Yoga 20 years ago now, what I noticed was that after the very first class, I felt much, much better than normal. My anxiety was way down. My energy was up. My mind was a lot clearer. And that was motivation enough for me to feel like I could have some sort of a commitment to this practice at first, just going to classes and then later to beginning to have a daily practice. And what I've learned over the years is that it's very hard to let go of our old habits and our old patterns until we actually have a new beneficial habit or practice that helps us actually feel good not in 20 years from now, but today. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I became a fan of Kundalini Yoga for all these years is because it had an immediate effect on my nervous system and on my mind. And so I actually got into being a yoga teacher right after 9-11 happened. And everybody was at their wits end. And there was so much anger and feeling of Uh, not knowing what to do and what the future was going to be. And I really found myself wanting to turn more inward. And so I 
took yoga teacher training and learned to meditate every day. And another piece about Kundalini yoga is that the meditation is not really separate from the yoga practices. In every class that I teach, we do mindfulness, we do movement, and we do relaxation, and then a meditation. I think that's one thing I love about it, as we as I've been learning from you, and that to do all three at one time, not only the exponential outcome effects, I mean, quite frankly, it's also very uh, efficient. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I like efficiency. Uh-huh. Uh, many of us do in our culture. And yeah, there's that gratification as well. And it's very doable. It's very, like you said, it's when I think about going to a yoga class, which I know, you know, off the top of my, you know, yoga is good for me. It makes me stretch. It, it, it produces all sorts of positive effects. But for me, that sounds so hard. Mm-hmm. I think of yoga, I think of stretching into positions that I can't. I stretch, I think of holding it in a way and being full of pain. And I know it's good for me, but being able to add an hour class a couple of times a week to my life has not proven to be a priority and it just seemed almost impossible. And right. so as you talk about Kundalini yoga, for one, you mentioned earlier that it's something that anybody can do and it's not really about the extensive pressure on your body. Right. And it feels so much more doable. Can you say a little bit more? Yes. Particularly the way that I teach it, I really teach yoga in a way that tries to be sensitive to people's trauma histories and to people having different levels of experience with yoga and different body capability. And so I think, first of all, it's very important to choose a yoga class and a yoga teacher who is a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. I think when people think about yoga and they're not used to doing it, they think about coming into all those positions that you were talking about and feeling embarrassed. I've had a client once who was in my group for many years say that when she thought about yoga, it just seemed so tiresome and so boring. (laughs) And and I could totally relate to that because I think before I did it, it's what it seemed like it would be to me as well. I never thought of it as tiresome and boring. For me, I thought of it as hard, challenging and embarrassing. I've been a runner <laughs> my whole life. And and th- while that's produced really wonderful effects on parts of my body, mm-hmm. my flexibility, not so much. Uh-huh. So the idea of yoga, I just, uh, I couldn't even think to do it until, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you've really opened my eyes to. I think as I got into teaching yoga, I was already a psychotherapist, and the ways that I was using the practices was really for emotional well-being, mm-hmm. as opposed to going for some sort of physical effect. You can take a kundalini yoga class that would be crazy hard and you know very challenging and probably good for people in their 20s. But if you come to my class and classes of people that have had a lot of life experience and gone through a lot with their own bodies, then I think we're more attuned to wanting the experience to be one that's about being with your experience, being the observer, connecting with your breath. That's always the most important part of the yoga practice. And I like to recommend to people that they not, this is not a no pain, no gain situation. People really should be listening to their own bodies, giving themselves permission to rest Uh, to modify all of the exercises, if it feels like it's going on too long to come back to a seated neutral position, really giving themselves all the permission in the world to take good care and to honor their limitations that they have in the body, at least in that moment. 
And so I try to make my classes and groups a really inviting place that has the goal of knowing yourself better as opposed to getting into any specific asana or posture as though doing that is somehow going to bring you enlightenment or peace. You know, it doesn't matter really what you're doing if you're being the observer of your experience and looking at yourself in a kindly way with compassion. So, and it it doesn't, it's not about the challenge of the position. It's about what you were saying earlier, the process of movement and movement with your body that creates an integration effect in the left and right hemisphere of your brain while also integrating the the sound and the meditation so that it's a full body experience. Yes, absolutely. It is a full body experience. And there are times when people might feel a little bit of discomfort that sometimes will will repeat the rhythm of the body movement and you might get bored doing it or the arms might start to feel a little bit tired. And that's a signal either to listen to your body and come resting, or for some people, it might be to push through it a little bit and to learn to tolerate the discomfort. And then as you tolerate discomfort, as long as it's not um, some acute cue that you're injuring your body, it's just a little bit of boredom or a little bit of discomfort, then that actually creates neuroplasticity in the brain and increases your capacity to tolerate discomfort in general, as long as you're doing that in a safe way that's not injurious. Well, let's talk about it for the listeners out there that say, like I did, why would I integrate the, the yoga into the process? Let's talk about all the effects that in your experience and your knowledge that this process has. So you were mentioning that, number one, that by integration of the the left and the right hemisphere, that that has an overall effect. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, what we know is that what we experience in life, we store in our bodies. And in Kundalini Yoga, we really acknowledge the different sides of the brain. There are practices where we are deliberately activating the right or the left side of the brain. So there's practices that you're in, you're at times deliberately activating either the the left side of the brain which is the more pos- you know analytical and sometimes the right side of brain more emotionally driven mm-hmm. and so sometimes you're going back and forth to help brain plasticity happen yes mm-hmm. for example there are breath practices in yoga where you activate the right side of the brain by inhaling through the left nostril and vice versa, you activate the left side of the brain by inhaling through the right nostril. It's called alternate nostril breathing. And just as an aside, I heard recently that Hillary Clinton during the campaign, um, and I guess um, she continues to do so, was using alternate nostril breathing as one self-care practice. She probably needed that a lot. Yes, <laughs> she did. I was delighted to hear that she had that. But for example, when you breathe in and out, through your left nostril and you block your right side and you're activating your the right hemisphere of your brain, that creates a relaxation effect. Mm-hmm. And then when you're breathing in and out through the right side, uh, that creates more energy in your mind and your body so that you feel more alert and clear-minded. That's such an important point because when we think of yoga or yogis, 
Um, some people may think of somebody very calm and always, and yet the, the research would suggest it's both decreasing your sympathetic nervous system and allowing your parasympathetic nervous system to be more activated. So you have sort of the calmness of stress and the increase of that, that part of our body that kind of keeps us calm and smooth and feeling engaged with the world. But what I hear you saying is it's also allows our brain to be more on an alert state because yes. we're decreasing stress, which doesn't mean that we're just tuning out. It actually is having the effect of allowing us to be more of a calm alert. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That is the goal is to have more clarity in yeah. your mind and more awareness about your body. And you know what? That's actually really consistent with research on people that have done yoga for quite a period of time. And, and I guess when we use the word yoga, uh, we're going to uh, kind of put in the assumption that that has a meditative quality. Yes. That has a mindful meditation, body movement integration. Yes. When we say the word yoga and that those individuals that have our ongoing practice, the positive outcome on their body that involves their ability to regulate their emotions, right. um, that they have more of a capacity to do that on a regular basis. And that one of the assumptions is, is that because they can be more alert and aware of their own body symptoms, I guess not body symptoms, but body awareness. Uh-huh that they're able to then tune in rather than just react. We talk a lot on our podcast about reacting to the amygdala and to the, to the threat response and being right. able to increase your awareness. And one of the things is that we're really realizing that this yoga effect you mentioned after your classes, you felt calmer and more alert. And I think for me, I always just sort of assumed that was more of an effect, uh, an immediate effect due to the body, but not a long-term effect. Mm -hmm. And to really see that the a daily practice actually impacts your brain development. It's yes. not just a mood enhancer or a stress reliever in the moment. Right. It really actually impacts what's going on in brain development. Yes. Let's yes. talk a little bit about that. Well, my understanding is that meditation and yoga activate parts of the brain that make you feel good. At the same time that they are impacting the amygdala and soothing the amygdala, which is what keeps you in a state of fight and flight and fear. And so, you know, it's a double benefit there. Right. It, and it works simultaneously. And that's what people keeps people coming back for more. It's not because it's painful that people keep returning to yoga class. And it's not because they're supposed to do it. It's because they are getting a physical and emotional benefit. Absolutely. And, and what's so lovely is that physical and emotional benefit actually is ongoing and it really changes. Um, we were talking before we started about some of the different research that's been happening. I would love to talk a little bit about that. But they've even done MRI studies on individuals that have done uh, yoga for an extensive period of time and have found that they actually have an increased gray matter that develops in the uh, cortex of the brain, and especially in the areas that directs attention, and it increased hippocampus, and we talk a lot about yes. the hippocampus, and mm -hmm. how that allows us to keep our stress down. So it's not just in the moment, it actually 
shows to have increased gray matter development in our brain. Yes, yes. And I've just anecdotally from so many people have had people say, I came to one class, I was feeling depressed before. And then I'm coming back the next week and the depression's actually lifted. And it's had a continuous effect from one class. It wasn't just the that class day. Right. That they, they can really, really see that it's really impacting on an ongoing level throughout the week. Yes. That's an amazing yes. effect. It is an amazing effect. And then, of course, it, it just doubles and increases exponentially when you do it on a daily basis. Well, and that makes a lot of sense because of the different parts of the area of the brain that it's impacting. It intensifies a GABA production in your brain and not just in that moment, but overall you continue to produce those things that reduce the anxiety effect. It's a anti-anxiety, natural anti-anxiety medication in our own Uh mind that we can induce through this. Yes. And it, it also creates new neural pathways. You have a new experience of your body and for particularly with people who have a lot of anxiety or depression or trauma, it sometimes can be very unusual for them to be able to just be with themselves. And so to have an experience where they're feeling good in their bodies, they're feeling comfortable, especially if it's a group or a class, they're feeling Mm -hmm. comfortable with other people, feeling good in their bodies and having positive feelings towards themselves, that begin that right there in one class has created a new neural pathway. And for some people, this is the first time they're ever experiencing it. Right. And for others, it's a remembrance of times when they have felt good in their bodies and when their minds have felt at ease. And by remembering that, they're able to seek out other opportunities to replicate it, either through the practices or just in their daily lives and the choices that they make. Oh, yeah, that's just a wonder. And what you're saying is, by increasing those neural pathways, as we talk about it, those things that fire together end up yes. wiring together. Uh-huh. And so in that process, as you keep doing your practice, you actually really are creating a whole nother way for your mind-body integration to to take care of yourself emotionally yes. and physically. Yes. Another example in the type of yoga that I practice, a lot of times we use a mental mantra. As you do your rhythmic movement, you're thinking to yourself a mantra and maybe it is Sat Nam. That's one that we use quite a bit. Sat means truth and Nam means identity. What would that sound like, the mantra? It sounds like this. Sat Nam. Sat Nam. And so you might be saying it out loud, or you might be just thinking it to yourself Mm -hmm. as you're lifting opposite arms and linking it with your breath. You're thinking Sat Nam, Sat Nam. And the meaning when you put it together is true self. I identify with my true self. And I've had many, many people say to me later that during the week, as they're taking a walk, or they're going for a swim, or before they're doing something stressful. They remember how they felt at the end of yoga class. They remember the idea of Sat Nam, and then they can just cue themselves. They can think to themselves, okay, Sat Nam, true self. And then they have that somatic memory of what it felt like to be in a state of ease and well-being. And then they can access that again. Oh, that's wonderful. And and as they say, we think about all the, you, you mentioned the yogis mentioning how many 
thoughts we have going through our brain constantly. So yes. the mantra is a way of kind of clearing that out and giving your mind something actually to focus on. Because some yes. people I know when I try to encourage in my practice a meditation process, sometimes it's really, really difficult for individuals because it's when they slow down and stop, their mind just rings and rings and rings and actually goes faster. Yes. So having a mantra that you say over and over and over again makes a good point. It really gives you something to focus on and keep your mind in a central point. Mm-hmm. And then I love what you're saying with the, uh, you said it was your true self. Uh-huh. That's the meaning. The meaning. So the meaning is also having a very integrative because it's a very positive, powerful meaning. And language is so important Yes, in how we feel about ourselves. I think that's one of the most important parts of mantra is that it helps to cut through the automatic thoughts mm-hmm. so that you're also training your mind to choose your thought. So instead of thinking about all the negative things you are saying to yourself, if you're interrupting that to think sat nam, sat nam, what that does is it teaches you that you can choose other thoughts. It, it creates uh-huh. a little bit of gap and an interruption in the old patterns. And it's when there is a moment of interruption, a moment of neutrality, mm-hmm. that healing can begin in the form mm-hmm. of new more positive thoughts, new, different, effective, more effective action is a possibility because you're able to think outside of your old patterns. And I guess then you could utilize that at any point in time, not only during your yoga and meditation practice, like what you're saying is really great, right in that moment of a deep stress to bring you back to that place where you start going into a mantra to move us, remove yourself from a cycle that you're engaged in. And then your body has that memory of being in that place. Yes. So it would come, it would be a powerful way to bring your whole system to a calmer place at other times when you're not in your yoga practice, because you would have these skills to utilize. Just this week, I had a client text me who's part of one of my yoga and talk therapy groups for cancer survivors. And she had had some symptoms come up and she had to have another MRI. And she was very nervous about it. And when she went into the testing, she used a an affirmation, a mantra, basically. It's an English mantra, which is happy am I, healthy am I, holy am I, holy in the sense of being whole, Mm. that we've done quite a bit in our group and in our classes. And she said she just kept repeating that to herself over and over again as she breathed long and deep through the the whole testing experience. And she said it was a completely different experience. And in fact, you know, in some ways it can bring some pleasure mm-hmm. into the darkest, m- most terrifying moments of your life. Oh my gosh, that's so that's so beautiful, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Just the thought of that. It, not only is it bringing those beautiful thoughts, it's preventing all of those other thoughts that you can imagine would be so susceptible to in that condition, right. in that moment of your life. But instead having something so secure to fall back on. Yes. And for this particular person, the group experience of saying the affirmations together as a group and really feeling held by her group. Mm -hmm. I think that as she was going through that experience, she was also really feeling uh, what it's like to be chanting this, saying this out loud with her group and really feeling the support. Oh, and we've talked quite a bit on our podcast about how Mm -hmm. the bringing yourself into a sense of community is one of the safest 
ways instead of feeling isolated. So right. through the use of that and being able to connect to the group at the same time, it was like the group was there with her instead of her being so isolated. Absolutely. Oh, that's, Which was a yeah. very different experience for her. Oh, I imagine. In fact, I'm so interested. We, are, we uh, therapists and sensors, are so interested in the groups that you're doing for cancer patients that um, we're going to have a whole separate podcast. So we just gave you a, a little brief window into that. And that's a, a second podcast that we're going to do specifically about how you use this practice to help people with trauma and cancer. Yes. Wonderful. So I really look forward to that. So you mentioned, though, you have a group, and that is not just cancer survivors. You also have been using this combination of yoga meditation practice as a clinician. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I, about 15 years ago, right after I went through yoga teacher training myself, I decided to start integrating yoga with my clinical practice because I had been so helped by the combination of attending yoga classes and really deeply learning how to deeply meditate and through growing with my own psychotherapy process, my own experience as a patient in therapy. And I really felt like it was a synergistic effect, that there were ways in which I could grow through my yoga practice and meditation practice that I was not able to access through talk therapy, Mm -hmm. and vice versa, that there are ways that yoga and meditation is not a substitute for really working on your family of origin dynamics and your relationship skills and being able to talk about your thoughts and feelings. And so I really felt motivated to integrate yoga and talk therapy. And so I created these yoga and talk therapy groups, and I've been doing them for about 15 years with different demographic groups. I started working with teenagers, and I did that for many years, probably 10 years, working with teen girls. And they loved it. And uh, what a great population to to use for the teenage girl with how much angst and awareness of body and et cetera. So I love that. Yes, it was fantastic. They also have such a desire to Mm -hmm. learn about themselves and to know themselves more deeply. Mm -hmm. And by doing the yoga at the beginning, it also created a level playing field where the popular girls and the girls who struggled more socially were more able to connect from a place that was not about posturing and Mm -hmm. defenses, but really about their core feelings and more vulnerability. Sometimes I'd have girls bring things up that I was thinking, oh my goodness, they're going to get scapegoated. It's really out Mm -hmm. there what they're bringing up. But instead of that happening, the rest of the group would be able to identify with this very vulnerable part or an acting out part that -hmm. gets brought into the talk therapy portion because the ability for everybody to tolerate other people, (laughs) right, right. um, Because they're really relaxed, that's increased and to tolerate their own thoughts and feelings and, and not to act out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so now you've been doing then, a process where your groups will start, and these are all various groups where they're adult psychotherapy groups, so they will start with a period of yoga meditation and then lead into the process group so that you're saying that they have that openness and the calmness to be able to go into a group already feeling more safe and more connected. Yes, 
Yes, we do 45. I have one ongoing women's group that's been going for about five years. Mm -hmm. And we do 45 minutes of yoga and relaxation and meditation. And then we come into our group process. And I start each group by asking, what did you notice in the meditation or in the yoga practice? And it's amazing the diversity of what people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so they get to put words to this very right-brained experience that they've just had. And and then they also get to talk about what's come up for them from their own lives, um, what they noticed, what they were thinking about that needs to be shared in the group. And you know, the groups have a really profound effect. I've had people who have struggled a lot with addiction and had had all kinds of different interventions and really could not break that cycle. But doing the yoga each week Mm -hmm. and then being in this supportive group over time, I have one woman who had been smoking pot every day for 15 years and over time was able to stop that completely in a way that she never imagined she was going to be able to do. Oh, I can imagine because you're affecting her, her own ability to affect her mood and yes. to reduce her stress. And then also to then feel connected to herself and then the group. And so right. not only is she in the group processing it, she's really able to actually help herself self-regulate through the yoga practice. Yes. That's and to really, feel naturally high, yeah. naturally good, and to want to keep that. Right. You're going to make me want to start making all my clients do yoga before we get started. (laughs) It's not a bad idea. No, I I agree. And some of the things that you're talking about, about for the listeners out there, they're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, am I going to add a whole, we've talked a lot about a yoga class, but the exercise that we did to start off our interview today, that's available online was short and very effective. And so one of the things you had mentioned is that being able to integrate this in 20 minutes a day could be an extremely beneficial outcome. Yes. That's what I go for as my own personal minimum I try to do. And that's just at home. You're not getting up and necessarily needing a class. You're integrating this kind of movement and meditation just in your own home. Yes. And I'm also not pushing myself to do the most advanced practices. I'm I'm doing something short that activates both sides of my brain and gets my circulation moving and gets my breathing moving. And then I always end with mindfulness and usually a little bit of mantra meditation to really try to come into, to stabilize my mind, basically. I think that's one of the things that I've gotten so excited about. And that is... I have a practice where I do meditation, not enough, and I run. So I feel like I could check the box that I, you know, do those things and both of those are good for you. But the insight that you've brought to me is how important movement is while you're meditating. Mm-hmm. That di- by integrating yoga or the movement practice, if, if we could say yoga, well, movement with meditation and mindfulness and the integration of that in 20 minutes, just the outcome that that could have and how much more available, honestly, the meditation was to me. I really realized in my own process of doing it that my ability to meditate while I was moving was significantly easier. Yes. It, it was. Yes. It, why is it? Why is it so much easier when I'm moving to meditate? Because I... I think that we really need 
tools to feel more grounded mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to occupy our minds and also to discharge tension. Right. And the movement also helps us to move between a state of relaxation and equanimity and then also greater awareness of our bodies and of our breathing. That's great. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. So why that would, and, you know, we're gonna have to start wrapping here. But I know one of the outcome variables that I was very excited about when I was reading about that is the effect of yoga and aging and mental decline. For any of us out there over the age of 40, we can know that at times we even just a simple name recall, etc. You start really seeing the effects of that. Yes. And so I was really excited about some of the, the more recent research about the effects of yoga on those with slowing cognitive deficits after 55. Yes. Let's talk about that study a little bit. Okay. Well, there is the study of meditation that's Mm -hmm. happened out of UCLA. I think it was maybe five or six years ago. And it's a study of a meditation called Kirtan Kriya. And that uses a mantra and it uses movement of the fingers simultaneously. So you're moving your fingers and you're saying this mantra, Sata Nama. And they they just did that for really literally a 12, 12 week program. It was a, what's the name of it again? Kirtan Kriya. And I guess it was a 12 week uh, 12 week program, program and it's right. 12 minutes a day. And that, by the way, for the listeners out there is the one that we completed and will be on our website for those of you who are interested because they, what they did is it was just for 12 weeks and they divided these groups of over 55 who were having some cognitive impairment into two groups and they helped both of them. They had one group that did, as your point now, Kelly, the Kundalini. Uh-huh, the Kundalini meditation, meditation Kirtan Kriya. That, that we did, the 12-minute one. And the other group did uh, memory, cognitive memory exercises. Right. And the outcome was incredibly intriguing. The outcome that sticks with me is that it lowered inflammation in the body and right. it also improved memory in the group that did the Kirtan Kriya Kundalini meditation. Right. It, it, both groups improved in the memory. Yeah. But the yoga group, they notice a significant improvement in their executive functioning. Yes. A significant decrease in depression. Right. An increase in emotional resilience. Uh huh. And then the thing that was really interesting about that is they also showed, even though they both improved in memory, the yoga group performed much better on visuospatial exercises. And you know what's interesting about that? It affects the balance, the parts of our brain that affects uh, depth perception and the recognition of objects. And that was significantly more impacted with the yoga group than the memory group. I was so impressed with that. That's so interesting because one of my favorite yoga teachers always says that the real purpose of yoga is to be able to see hear and experience life more clearly. Mm -hmm. And so that's a great scientific research effect that they were able to see, hear and understand more clearly. I love that. And Mm -hmm. some of the, the, and you were mentioning the, the suppression of the uh, immune system inflammation. Yes. That is a huge, important outcome variable that's been repeated that for the listeners out there, what is the impact of that to, to decrease the inflammational response right. in our body is just incredibly significant. 
It is in particular because there is so much research happening showing an association between inflammation with disease, oh, yeah. with autoimmune, autoimmune diseases, with cancer, with um, other types of illness. And I think even with depression, they're linking it as well to inflammation in the body. And so to have a short practice that's easy to do, that lowers your anxiety and depression. Yeah, that's a one size. I mean, how could you not want to do that? That's why yes. I, I became so motivated to switch my morning routines <laughs> beyond just exercising because the the significant impact that it can have on your mental health, right. your physical health. And uh, you know what? One of the things we were talking about before, as you were mentioning leaving the yoga and it inspired you to keep integrating it in your practice about how just deeply good you felt about yourself. And I ran into some of the research that they talked about when we were talking about increase in gray matter, mm-hmm. that it increased in the level of the cortex in our emotional awareness of self-awareness, the part of the brain that is self-aware and that is affecting in self-esteem, et cetera, to feel sort yeah. of self-confidence. So the, actual areas of the brain that bring self-awareness actually increase. So it's, it's, it's really impacting our brain development in those areas, as well as our belief that we can control our own emotions on a different level and decrease our stress. Yes. So it's, it's a little bit of a, uh, what can it not do for you? Right, right. Yeah. It really, and I always associate that with the frontal lobe being strengthened and activated, that that's where we have our emotional regulation, our executive functioning, our ability to feel compassion for ourselves and others. And yeah, both yoga and meditation really positively affect that. Well, I'm really appreciate you being open to doing the meditation for us at the very beginning so that our listeners who are listening out there. And for me, the idea again, as I said, the idea of like, I'm going to run out there and grab a yoga class. Now I may now I'm more motivated than ever to actually do a yoga class. But my biggest takeaway is my ability a couple times a week, if not daily for 20 minutes And even through, I'm going to go back to our own podcast notes and reuse the one that uh, you did for us, because I feel like I could really just use that on a daily or a couple times a week to really impact this in my own life. So I'm excited. Yes, I'd love to hear how it goes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. And I can't wait to have you back the next time when we have Kelly back, we're going to talk about how she has integrated this practice in working with cancer survivors. And uh, I think that affects so many people out in the world right now. And so I'm really, really grateful for the work you're doing in that area. It's affected my life personally, in my family. And so I'm really, really happy to have that and to bring that to our listeners. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. We appreciate you listening all the way through the the end of the podcast. And if so, we think maybe you were enjoying it or got something out of it or saw some value in it. And if so, we really want to appeal to you to help us spread the word and subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast player, because that really helps us and lets other people know that you can get some good content here. Okay. Thanks for listening. Therapist Uncensored is... Ann Kelly, and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.